0: Stand together again as Aaron comes this morning to read our scripture.
1: Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say He is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says There will be wailing in all the streets, and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep, and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall, only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. This is the word of the Lord from Amos 5:14 through 24.
0: Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. when i was serving in a previous church we stepped out into the world of church planting and in the world of church planting often rather than meeting in your own place you meet in a, a facility that belongs to someone else and so when we were in that process in our previous church we were looking for the things that we would need to take with us that would be portable so that we could have worship in this this rented space And we found a company that was named, believe it or not, Church in a Box. That was the name of this company. And they provided for us in a trailer all of the materials that we needed to wheel in in these carts and unpack. They even came in weeks before the church plant opened and showed us how to unpack it all and do it in the most efficient way. And this whole thing was just completely organized and structured so that literally, you pull up the trailer, you open up the box, and you're supposed to be able to have church. Church in a box. I have to tell you, when I heard the name of that company, when we first found out about them, I hated it. I mean, everything about the name of that company just got all over me because it just sounded like in many ways, everything that's wrong with the way we do church oftentimes today. I've noticed, by the way, as I looked them up, because I didn't want to slander the company too bad. I just didn't like the name. They've actually changed their name. They must have gotten quite a bit of feedback that others didn't like that as well. But I remember thinking in that process, we so often reduce this sacred thing we're supposed to have as worship, as the body of Christ, growing together in faith, being the people that christ has called us to be and modeled for us to be we so often reduce it down to just going through some motions having some music having some teaching if if it's not going well maybe we raise the volume just a little bit right we we go through all of these steps and yet we can do all of that and even from a cultural perspective do all of that well and our hearts still be completely far away from the lord And what God is drilling down on here in the center of the book of Amos is that he is rejecting the worship that his people offer because his people are not giving him worship from their hearts and they're certainly not taking that worship out and living it out in obedience in their lives. And so because of that, no matter how good their music is, no matter how choice their offerings and sacrifices are, God is saying right here in the heart of this prophecy, I'm rejecting all of it because your hearts are far away from me. My prayer for us as we continue through this really hard book of the Bible that God would continue to get our attention and, and focus this message to our own hearts, that we as individuals and that we as a people, as a community of faith, Would be walking in faithfulness with him and not just doing church in a box. As we think through what we've read already, I've mentioned every Sunday of our study through Amos that that the prophet Amos received this word from God during a time in Israel of great prosperity. It sounds like destruction is imminent, but in the minds of the people, things are still great they're on top economically their military is strong their levels of comfort and security are high and as we talked about last week they they are almost saying to God even you can't knock us down off of this pedestal we're on and yet God is saying to them he's he's proclaiming to them that the message is an urgent one if you don't return to me you will not be on top much longer I've blessed you, God says to them. And yet you have not used your blessings for the good of your neighbor. You've used your your blessings only for yourselves and you've become so focused on them that you've abandoned worship to me. Instead, you're worshiping and serving idols. You're oppressing the poor. You're trampling on the heads of the marginalized and you have become oppressors Just like the nations around you in the past were oppressors to you. You are oppressing your own people. And these themes continue to come up over and over throughout Amos. The failure of God's people to see the suffering of the needy around them. The injustice that is rampant throughout their communities. The idolatry that they continue to participate in, worshiping false gods and, and setting up idols and bowing down before them. The hypocrisy, as is described here in their worship, where they claim to be the people of God, they claim to love God, but the evidence in their lives says otherwise. And their constant breaking of their covenant promises, their covenant relationship with God. If you'll remember back in chapter 3 it was the language of covenant that God was using. We've been in in a covenant relationship God says like a marriage together and yet you have broken your vows to me time and time again and you have been unfaithful and your unfaithfulness, your infidelity it continues to this day. So so the language of chapter 3 is is the language of God's broken heart when he looks at his people. Then last week we were in chapter 4 and the language moves from broken heart and covenant to destruction. The, the the summary of the prophecy of this book that here's the destruction that's coming. Your economy's gonna crash, your military is going to be destroyed, your people are going to get sick, your resources are going to be cut off, and invading armies are coming through your walls, and they are going to take away everything that you believe you have in terms of freedom. Now, we move from the language of covenant through the language of destruction to the central message of truth. This is like the last call, even though it's in the middle of the prophecy. This is your last chance, Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, the last chance for Bethel, for Samaria, for Ephraim, all the different words that are used here. This is your last chance, return to me. Or things are going to be worse than they even were for your ancestors when they sinned against me The first part of god's central message of truth Here in chapter 5, but really ringing out throughout the entire book of amos is that god shepherds his people Here even still he is seeking to shepherd them to lead them with words as opposed to with consequences in truth and in righteousness. God shepherds his people in truth and in righteousness. Look at verses 14 and 15. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord, the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. You claim God's on your side, of course. God's always on our side, right? You claim God's on your side and that he's with you, but if you don't seek good, if you don't stop seeking evil that you may live, you won't be able to say that any longer. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say He is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts, and perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant. Of Joseph. The NIV here uses the word you a lot. It's hard to see this in English. It's almost always hard to see this in English when we read our translations. But what the message in Amos is almost every time is not you as an individual, it's you all, or we might say y'all. This message is to the community. God's not just saying to Amos as a person, seek good and not evil that you may live. And he's not just singling out one person here and one person there. He's not just singling out the king. He's not just singling out a priest. He's not just singling out a prophet. He is saying to the entire community, you all as my people seek good, not evil. And and then you will be able to say as you live, that I am with you. I think one of the continual failures we have, just sort of our Western mindset, it's also, again, part of our language. We often only think about you in terms of me. We often only think about holiness and our relationship with God in terms of me and and not just us. But as I said last week, I say again, as, as a pastor, as a shepherd myself, I'm an under shepherd of the good shepherd and when I read texts like this I am thinking of my own personal holiness and I am thinking of your own personal holiness but I'm also thinking as a community what does it look like for us as a church to be faithful in these ways and how do I as a shepherd make sure that when I teach when I preach when I lead and when I live out my own life then in, in the example that I'm to set that I am leading us to seek good and not evil. Not to conveniently call some things evil and turn a blind eye to other things that are evil. Not conveniently seeking some good but not seeking other good because it might infringe on our comfort, our security or the things that we hold really tight. I have those things too. Believe me. But when I read the scripture, when I sense the voice of the shepherd leading me, my response has to be surrender. And I pray that the same thing is true for us as a community. That we would see, yes, personal holiness in this language, but also communal holiness. That we would see holiness for ourselves, but also holiness for the good of others and holiness as a community so that we might as a church be a light in this place where God has planted us. And one of the most consistent things that God continually deals with here in this part of Amos is the failure in the community to care for the needs of the poor and the marginalized around them. There's really three things that that God deals with. He deals with Uh, primarily their idolatry which we'll come to at the end this morning he deals with their suppressing of the truth and then he deals with this this reality, this constant behavior of oppressing the poor and turning a blind eye to their suffering look at just some other verses as I I mention each week we're not reading every verse in Amos out loud in, in, in worship so that's why I've given you a reading plan to hopefully follow along But look at a few verses just from this chapter, from chapter 5 right before what we read. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. This is inside the community of faith. This is not God talking to everyone else. This is God talking to his people. Verse 10, there are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. Verse 12, For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. And then look at verse 13 and this idea of suppressing the truth. Therefore the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. The prudent, the wise, they're smart to keep their mouths shut because standing for the truth is comes with consequences and yet what does God say to his people seek good not evil that you may live I came across a, qu- a quote a few weeks ago and I saved it for this morning because I think it's a hard-hitting question for each of us to ask ourselves right here as we're at the center of the prophecy of Amos James Dean Nagalski wrote When we let Amos speak to us and we hear this message in our community of faith, with whom are we supposed to identify? Are we the poor standing outside the gates? Are we the oppressed having our heads trampled into the ground as Amos wrote earlier? Are we the wise? Are we the just? Are we the ones who are willing to speak truth? Are we the ones who are seeking good and not evil? As Nagowski goes on to say, so often we want to be like the good Samaritan in Jesus' parable. We want to be the one who cares for the broken and the needy, but more often we are like the priest and the Levite. We know that it's easier to just keep walking or just to cross over to the other side of the street. I believe God has led us to this book for this time so that we might be challenged, we might wrestle with some hard things and we might do the hard work of introspection, of searching our hearts as people and as a community even with a question like this, who do we identify with as we read through these hard scriptures I, uh, last Sunday night at our vision gathering I didn't realize that I uh, was was being mocked among you uh, until Philip White got up and corrected, thought he was correcting something I said. Uh, there apparently was like a murmur that was traveling throughout the group when I talked about all of these triangles that are all around the room. Can you see in, in between our windows and around the wall, we have all of these, these little uh, geometric shapes that you might think are meant to be aesthetic, but actually what they are sound panels. They've really improved the sound quality in here. Probably like 12 times I called them triangles. I didn't realize that people were laughing at me, that the murmur was happening, and that, that people were literally saying to each other, Does he, did he fail geometry in high school? Because those are rectangles or squares, they're not triangles. Actually, if you had been here when they were delivered and they were all standing upright, their wedges, if you look at them carefully, their wedges, they actually are triangular in shape. If they weren't, they wouldn't work. So, so it's all about the angle from which you look at them. So I'm challenging you, not now, but after the service, go lay down on the floor somewhere underneath and you will see the triangles, okay? Or, or if you're really tall, you can look down from above on one of them and you'll, you'll see the triangles it's all about the angle that you look at it the same thing is true for justice we're living in a time where in our culture and and this is especially true in places like Tulsa and in conservative church environments like ours where people will scoff at that word even though it is one of the most common words in the Bible justice and the other word that comes right along with it time and again righteousness righteousness People will scoff at that word justice. They will roll their eyes. I'm not saying you. I'm just saying this happens and I see it. And people say, are, are, are people really oppressed? Aren't times better than they've been in the past? Is it really that bad? And, and I say to you, it's all about the angle from which you're looking. If you're talking about things like justice and oppression and the poor and some of these topics that can quickly be divisive and lightning rods, I ask you, what angle are you looking at it from? Do you ever have conversations about these things with people who look different than you? Who come from a different background than you? Who vote different than you? People who are not from your generation or in your age group? Because all of us have a tendency, and I do too, to to get in echo chambers. And if I feel like this is not going to be reinforcing the things that I'm really passionate about, I might just try to avoid it altogether. But when we are willing to take a look at things from a different angle, to wrestle with a question like, with whom do we identify when we read these hard scriptures? These words take on new meaning, I believe. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God will have mercy. We might be able to convince ourselves that some of these things don't matter, but we'll never be able to convince God Because God shepherds us He continually shepherds his people in truth and righteousness And as he's shepherding them in truth and righteousness The next really central message of this book Is that he's also preparing his people as he still does today for the day of the lord and for judgment That comes with the day of the Lord. Verses 16 and 17 that this has now become common language for us in Amos. It's it's hard to hear, but it's strong language that is a warning about judgment. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says: There will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. And as Amos has told us now in nearly every chapter, their days of prosperity are about to come crashing down. When all is said and done, hear me on this, when all is said and done, we only have one to whom we will all give an answer. And the one to whom we will all give an answer is the Lord God Almighty. This is a consistent teaching in Amos. It's a consistent teaching throughout the Old and New Testaments. We only have one to whom we will give answer. And his day, the day of the Lord, is still coming. Now what did Amos' people believe? Well, they believed the day of the Lord was going to be the coming of the Messiah the Messiah was going to come and and they were waiting for him to come so that he might bring justice he might pass through their midst and they believed that when he would pass through their midst it would be a day of victory but what does God say to them about the day of the Lord woe to you who long for the day of the Lord verse 18 why do you long for the day of the Lord because that day will be darkness and not light you think that, that God's on your side and he's present with you, but the reality is your heart is far from him. You're worshiping your idols. You're denying those who are oppressed of justice. The evidence is not there that you are living faithfully as God's covenant people. So when he passes through your midst, it's not going to be a day of light. It's going to be a day of darkness unless, unless you turn back to him. The ancient rabbis would say it this way. The dawn is a welcome thing for the rooster, but it's a dreadful thing for the bat. For some, the day of the Lord, the dawning of the light, it's it's welcome, it's victorious. For others, the day of the Lord, the coming of his light, is a day of judgment and destruction. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. Verse 20, will not... The day of the Lord be darkness, not light. Pitch dark without a ray of brightness. Today, as New Testament Christians, we can say with confidence, we know much more about the day of the Lord than Amos knew. We know much more about the coming of the day of the Lord than the people to whom Amos was prophesying knew. Because we know, again, they were waiting for the Messiah to come the first time. We know and believe the Messiah has already been here. Okay, so thank you, Shiloh. Let's try this again. We know the Messiah has already been here. All right. Jesus Christ came to us. God came to us in flesh. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He modeled for us through his ministry what this good looks like. Truth, righteousness, justice. Jesus was a welcome place for those who were hurting. He was light for those who were lost in darkness and looking for salvation. But his coming was a dreadful thing for the self-righteous. And those who were rejecting God in their hearts. Jesus Christ modeled for us this perfect life, and then he took his perfection to the cross, and he died a sacrificial death for us, paying the price that we could not pay on our own because we are just as sinful as the people in Amos' day. But he paid that price for us, and he bought our freedom from the worst oppression that there is the oppression of sin and evil. That reigned in our hearts before Jesus Christ set us free. He died a sacrificial death. He rose from the dead and a victorious resurrection, and there is still a day of the Lord yet to come when the Messiah is coming back. So we know and believe the Messiah has come, yes, but the day of the Lord is coming again when the Messiah will return and he will return not this time as an infant but as our conquering king and when the conquering king comes back he will complete the work of his kingdom on earth and we want to be on the right side of that when it happens, amen? Amen. on that day everyone will give an answer to him for the things done while in the body on earth what will that answer be? Well believe it or not The answer that we need it to be We can find all the way back In the book of Amos Again from a little bit earlier in this chapter Verse 4 This language of seeking the Lord And then the same thing In verse 6 And then verse 8 is another one of the Doxologies in Amos There are three of them These beautiful statements of true Worship to God Here's our answer Here's how we know our hearts can be right on the day of the Lord. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them and Bethel will have no one to quench it. This beautiful statement of worship follows. He who made the Pleiades and Orion who turns midnight into dawn And darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. God gives the people through Amos the words they need to worship him in faithfulness. This is not church in a box, this is genuine, authentic worship of the Lord God Almighty. But sadly, even as God prepares his people for the day of the Lord and for judgment, many people still choose to worship him in shallow, hollow, and empty ways. How does this chapter conclude? God rejects false worship and false religion. He has no place for it. He sees into our hearts. He's not fooled, no matter how good we do it. He's not fooled. He rejects false worship and false religion I hate, he says, and I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. We saw the word stench in verse 4, and it was about the piling up of bodies. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs I will not listen to the music of your harps. How does it get to this place that God rejects the worship and the sacrifices and the offerings of his people? It happens because God's people reject him. We have to remember this language of covenant is at the center of this. God is not rejecting them because he's tired of them, because he's bored with them, because something about his nature has changed. They are going to experience God's rejection because they have rejected him. They've turned from righteousness to wickedness. They've become the oppressors, not the just. And I love this quote that I've quoted Motyer a few times. He has written one of the best commentaries on Amos. If you want to pick it up, read it along with your reading. It's the Assyrians who are going to come in and conquer this part of Israel. All this judgment God's warning them about is ultimately going to come at the hands of the Assyrians. But look at this word about their idolatry. The gods of Assyria occupied the hearts of Israel long before the armies of Assyria occupied her streets and towns. This is how it goes wrong. God didn't fall asleep and Assyria caught him by surprise. The people had already given their hearts to the false gods of the Assyrians. They were already worshiping their idols. And so long before their armies came in, the people's hearts were far from him. God wasn't upset with the quality of their music or their sacrifices. Just as there is only one to whom we will give answer, there's only one whom we worship. We give all of our worship to an audience of one. But in a culture full of idols like theirs and like ours a culture full of idols We often fail at this So god helps them see Through through the verse that we've chosen really as the theme verse of the entire book God helps them see that the worship he's looking for Is not from a box It's not just be, because it's excellent in our minds the worship that god desires demands from his people is tied directly to obedience and living it out how dare we ever come into a place like this and sing praises to him and say amen to the scripture and then walk out and live like it's not true god says this is the worship i desire You've rejected justice. I need justice to well up again in you and roll on and flow like a river. And righteousness, which comes right along with justice, like a never ending, like a never failing, like a perennial, like a, 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 a never ending stream. I need it always to be flowing in my community among my people. Righteousness that comes from God, justice. It comes from living out obedient lives and and the, anytime you read the language of water flowing or water pouring especially in the Old Testament it always comes with two ideas number one it's cleansing and it's purifying so how do we return to God well a huge part of this is repenting of our sins and, and, and pursuing that holiness and righteous living that we talked about in the beginning The second part, though, is the purifying is there. The second part is that then it flows out in a way that is life-giving. And we are living in such dark and evil times that we are desperate for people who are life-giving because there's plenty around us that is life-taking. But we are desperate for people who are life-giving and who, other than the community of faith, the people of God, is better equipped to be life-giving than those of us who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream, that we might be purified and that we might be life-giving as we live out the love of God in obedience and make clear in these dark times that the love that's in us comes from God because it flows out It is life-giving. And the life that we have that comes from Jesus Christ is the life that we know can overcome death. May God never say about us, I hate your gatherings and your worship services and your Bible studies. They are not a sweet-smelling fragrance. They are a stench to me. You bring me tithes and offerings and end-of-the-year gifts, but I do not accept them. You volunteer your time and do good things in my name, but I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your instruments. May God never say that about us, though all of those things are wonderful that we bring to him. May God never say that about us because our hearts are far from him. 1 John 3 18 says this Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The final day of the Lord is yet to come. And each of us will answer only to one the Lord our God. The most important question will be what did we do with Jesus? What did we do with the love of God that he, he's shown to us? What have we done with the light that we've been called to carry when that day comes? Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you today for the love that you have demonstrated to us most clearly through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I am completely inadequate to be able to describe the depth of your love for us, God. My words often fail me, and my actions often fail as well. But Lord, I pray that this message of deep conviction that you give to us as a community also will be that message in our own hearts, that we will be those who continue to be shepherded in truth and in righteousness. That our songs and our worship would not be hollow, but that our lives would be marked by obedience. And I pray, Lord, today that if you are, are speaking to hearts in this room, Lord, that in this last moment we have together, that you would just draw them really close and give them clear eyes to see and ears to hear that which you say to your people. In Jesus' name.